you have your Bibles with you this morning, I invite you to open them to an Old Testament book. One of the major prophets, the book of Jeremiah. Chapter 9, we're going to read verse 23 and 24 in just a moment together. As you're finding Jeremiah chapter 9, beginning with verse 23, just a reminder that we have a sermon series going on this summer called Our God. We are going to spend our time this summer learning who God is. Because who we, what we understand about who God is in many ways shapes our life now and life for eternity. Last week we started the series by seeing that God of the Bible, the God of heaven, is a God of a second chance. He's a second chance God. Wherever you might be at on this journey of life and faith, no matter how much sin you have in your life, no matter how much you have, how long you've done it, where you've done it, who you did it with, if you're willing to confess your sin, own up to it, confess it, repent of it, God is willing to forgive you, renew you, revive you, and give you a fresh do-over, a start-over. He's a God of a second chance. You say, Pastor, how do you know? Because he's given me 9,218 second chances. Each and every day is a second chance. Today, we're going to be looking not at a second chance God, but a knowable God. Jeremiah chapter 9, beginning with verse 23. Thus saith the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man brag in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his wealth. But let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understands and knoweth the Lord, that the Lord is the one who exercises loving kindness judgment and righteousness in the earth. For it's in such things that the Lord delights, says the prophet. A knowable God. The story is told of a little boy drawing a picture. Asked what he was drawing. He said, I'm drawing a picture of God. When told that nobody knows what God looks like, the little boy said, they will when I'm finished with my picture. Do you know that God wants us to know him? It's the highest privilege. It's the very purpose of our existence to know God. People seem to have trouble sometimes wondering what is their purpose in this life. I can tell you in nine words what your purpose is. Nine words can summarize, capsulize why you're here, what you're to be doing while you're here, in preparation for up there. You ready? To know God, to glorify God, to enjoy God. That's it. 
That's our privilege. That's our purpose, to know God, to glorify God, and to enjoy God. Without a true picture, a rightful understanding of who God is, we're then left to our imaginations, our opinionations, and our speculations about who God is. There was a French atheist many years ago by the name of Voltaire. He didn't say a lot about things that we would agree with, but I think he said something that's very true. This is what Voltaire the atheist said many years ago. He said, God created man in his own image, and man has returned the favor by creating God in man's own image. God created man in his image. Man has returned the favor and created a God that is in his image. That explains why we see so many people, I hope not you, have misconceptions and misunderstandings about who God is. Some people believe that God is a celestial tyrant. He's brutal, he's sadistic, he delights in threatening us, bullying us, and hurting us. He looks like a Neanderthal caveman. He walks around in heaven like this with a club, just waiting to jump on somebody and pound them and beat them down to the ground. Other people believe that God is a cosmic killjoy. He's a party pooper with a capital P. He wants to make our lives void of laughter and fun. He's sad, sour, and mean, and he wants everybody to live like that. Other people believe the God of heaven is a divine bellhop. His purpose is to wait on us and serve us, and for that service he gives to us, we'll give him a tip of one hour a week and a dollar in the collection plate. Others of us believe that God is a heavenly Santa Claus. He gives presents and gifts of health and wealth to those who are nice and not naughty, and he keeps a list of who they are. Others of us believe that God is a spiritual grandfather. He's old, he's senile, he's soft, he winks at sin, and will never, let, uh, never lift a finger to punish anything that's wrong. Others believe that God is some glorified robocop to catch bad people and throw them in hell. He's a glorified Mr. Goodwrench to fix our broken lives so we can get up and running. He's a glorified grandmaster who has reached the highest level of existence through a spiritual evolution. In other words, he was just a man like us at one time, but now he's a superman. Do you know there are people who believe that kind of stuff? Where do they get it from? They don't get it from God because God is a God of revelation. He'll tell us who we are if we'd listen. They get it from their imaginations, from their fantasies. They get it from their opinion, their speculations, their theories. All of these faulty, foolish ideas come from the minds of people who don't know God. And maybe you're one of those. Do you know who God is? You say, Pastor, I know who God is. How do you know who God is? 
Because it's, I, I think it. Because you think it that does make him who he is? Because I've, I, I, had, I have some feelings about it. Does your feelings make God who he is? I've had some experiences. Does your experiences make God who he is? I heard about God in a song. Does that make God who he is? I read about God in a book. Does that make God who he is? I saw God in a movie. <laughs> Does that make God who he is? You see, ladies and gentlemen, left to our own devices, we will make a God that is not a God of the Bible. He's more like us. Therefore, we get a pass on what we do because our God is just like us. Somebody has said, it is our foolish, wicked understandings of God that cause all of our problems, that keep all of our problems, and from which all of our problems will destroy us. I'm telling you the core of who you'll be and what you'll have and what you'll do in this life and in the life to come all comes from what your image, your perceptions, your beliefs of who God is are. Two things I want to lay on your heart this morning about the knowable God. First of all, I want you to understand that the God of the Bible, the God of heaven, is a God of revelation. He reveals himself to us. In our silence, he will speak. In our stillness, he will move. If you will be still long enough and silent long enough, if you will have a place where you can go to meet God, God will speak to you. God will move in your life. God will reveal to you who he is. We don't have to think it, feel it, experience it. We don't have to go over here, go over there, listen to this one, listen to that one, do this and do that. God is a God of revelation. He will reveal himself to us if we sincerely want to know who he is. How does he do that? Primarily three ways. First of all, he reveals himself to us through creation. Romans chapter 1 verse 20 says this, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his is God's, God's invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made even his eternal power and Godhead, so that nobody can be with excuse not knowing who he is. Psalm 19.1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows his handiwork. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to be kind, but it takes a fool not to see God in creation. I mean, let's just use common sense, which seems to be wanting in many places today. If you see a house 
you think contractor, right? If you see a car, you think manufacturer. If you see the Ravenel Bridge, or any other bridge for that matter, you think engineer. If you have a watch on and you look at that watch, you think craftsman. These things just don't happen. These things all had a mastermind behind them. When we look into the sky, when we look beyond the sky into space, when we look at the mountains of this world, when we see the valleys of this world, when we see the forest of this world, when we see the deserts of this world, when we see all of those things that make up our world, admittedly scarred by sin, but still the beauty is there. What do we think about? Evolution? You know what evolution says? Let me show you how crazy it is. Nobody times nothing equals everything. I'm telling you, there is a God that speaks to us and reveals himself to us through creation. God reveals himself through what he has made for us. Creation. But God also speaks to us that we might know who he is through the scriptures. That's why it's so important for you to know your Bible, to read your Bible, to study your Bible, so you can understand who God is. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 says, All scripture, not most, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. It is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Do you know what doctrine means? Doctrine in part means who God is. That's part of doctrine, who God is. And as you study your Bible, as you read the scriptures, God will speak to you through what you read and reveal himself to you as you read it. I was going to talk to you a little bit about the names of God. I know many of you have done studies on that. But do you know there's about 73 names for God in the scriptures? And I'd like to go home and eat lunch. And I thought you might like to go home too early. So we're not going to go through 73 names of God if that's okay with you. But I am going to give you the three most commonly used names from God in the Bible. These are names that God gave himself that we might know who he is. We don't name God. God names himself. And then he reveals the names to us. And those names are found in the Bible. You know one of the names that God gave himself is Elohim. That's the most common name for God in the Bible. Elohim. Thousands of times the word God comes from the word Elohim in the scriptures. Do you know what Elohim literally means? A God of power. God wants us to know he holds all power in heaven and earth in his hands. He's the created power. He's the sustaining power. He's the miraculous power. There's nothing God can't do. 
He is omnipotent. He's all-powerful. He wants us to know that. Not only is he Elohim, God of power, but the second most common name that is used for God in the Scriptures is Yahweh God. God of promise. This God who has great power also makes promises and he knows he can fulfill those promises because he has great power. You and I make promises, but sometimes we can't fulfill the promises we make because we don't have the strength or the resources to do so. God says what he's going to do and he does what he says he's going to do. He says what he does, he does what he says. The Bible is a book of promises. Hundreds, if not thousands of places in this Bible, God makes promises to us, and he keeps every single one of them. You can cash every single check God gives you with confidence it won't bounce because he's a God of promise. And that promise comes from his power. Elohim, God of power. Yahweh, God of promise. And there's one other name I want to share with you that's commonly used in the scriptures. It's Abba God. God of relationship. This God who has power, this God who has makes promises to us, is a God who desires to have a relationship with us. He's not a God of religion. He's a God of relationship. He loves us. He wants us to love him. He makes promises to us. He wants us to trust him. He tells us to obey him, and then he gives us his, his Holy Spirit that we can obey him. And then when we do obey him through the work of the Holy Spirit in our life, he gives us peace, joy, and hope along the journey. He's a God of relationship. So we learn about God from creation. Even if you didn't have a Bible, you can see that there is a grand architect that has put all of this together. And then the, the scriptures narrow it down a little bit more for us. They tell us things about who God is. But the ultimate revelation that God gives us about who he is is not in creation, is not in the scriptures, but is in his son, Jesus Christ. Hebrews 1.3, speaking of Jesus, who being the brightness of his glory, whose glory? The Father's glory, and the express image of his person. Jesus said to the religious leaders, You do not know me, nor do you know my Father. If you had known me, you would have known my Father, because we're both one, he would later say. Jesus Christ is not God in a human body. He's God in a human being. And in Jesus Christ, we see a perfect portrait of who God is. Because God is Jesus and Jesus is God. They're one. Do you understand that? The deity of Christ is very important. It's a fundamental truth of the scriptures. When Jesus is talking, Jesus is speaking for God. He is God. When Jesus is acting, he's acting on behalf of God, for he is God. That's why it's so important to study not just your Bible as in totality, but to constantly be studying one of the Gospels. 
Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they tell us the story of Jesus. Why is the story of Jesus important? Because as we learn about who Jesus was and what he's about, we learn about who God is and what God is about. So God is revealing himself to us. He wants us to know him. Creation tells us about him. The Bible tells us about him. And Jesus Christ tells us about him. And that brings us to the second point. Why does God reveal himself to us that we can know him? Because God wants to have a relationship with us. Back to what I said earlier. In Jeremiah chapter 9, if you're back there, men in Jeremiah's day like to brag. I know we don't have any braggarts in our day, but back in that day they liked to brag. Now what did they brag about? Well, look at verse 23. Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Not let the mighty man brag in his strength or might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. So apparently in Jeremiah's day, a lot of people were boasting, bragging, and glorifying themselves. They were walking around, patting themselves on the back, how good they were. The problem with patting yourself on the back is if you're not careful, you'll break your arm. Jeremiah's day, they were boasting, they were bragging, they were glorifying in things of this world. The Lord speaks and says, if you're going to do such things, if you're going to take pride in something, if you're going to glory in something, if you're going to brag in something, if you're going to boast in something, don't do it with wisdom, don't do it with power, don't do it with riches. Do it for the fact that you know who God is. Look at verse 24. Let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth the Lord. That word knoweth means a personal relationship with him. The Lord wants us to know him in a real way, a personal way, an intimate way. The Lord wants us to know him as the true, the living, and the only God there is. Now pay attention. One of the great problems we have in the church today is we have people just like you sitting looking at me, preachers just like me standing behind pulpits looking at you or others like you, and we, have a, we know all the facts about the Bible. Ask a Bible question, we can give you a Bible answer but we don't have any friendship with the one that we have the facts about. We have the revelation. We know it all. But we have no relationship with the one that we know about. We have a head awareness, but we have no heart attachment. If you can't swim, seven feet of water will drown you just as quick as 700 foot of water, right? And we, we, we look at atheists and agnostics and say, well, they're drowning in their denial of God. Listen, there are people who believe in God who are drowning too. 
because they, all they have is here. It's never gotten to there. And that's the danger about being raised sometimes in it. It never soaks into you. He is creator. Would you agree with that, God is creator? How many of you would agree with that? He's creator. Do you know that's meaningless if he's not your creator? If he's not your creator, it doesn't matter if he's creator. Would you agree he is savior? Would you? Shake your head. Do you know it doesn't matter if he's Savior, if he's not your Savior? We would all agree he's Lord. But it doesn't matter if he's not your Lord. We all agree he's God, but it doesn't matter if he's not your God, my God. You see, that word my changes the dynamics of everything. The 23rd Psalm, you know what the key word in the 23rd Psalm is? The Lord is, help me out, my shepherd. David says, I know him. He knows me. We have a relationship with one another. Sure, he's the shepherd, but he's my shepherd. He would die for me on the cross. He's going to come back from the grave for me in a resurrection. He's coming again for me in his return. I know him and he knows me. Folks, I think some of us here, we have the religion, but we don't have the relationship. We've got it all up here, but we have nothing here. We can answer all the questions, but we don't know the one that we're being questioned about. Pastor, how can I know that I know? I, I believe I know. How can I know that I know? If knowing God in a real, personal, intimate way, if having a relationship with Him is the, my purpose in life, how do I know that I've done that? Because there'll be certain evidences in your life that suggest you've done that. You'll know that you're saved. Let me ask you a question, but I don't want you to raise your hand. If you were to drop dead right now in your seat, and I buried you in three days at Dial Funeral Home or at another funeral home, do you know you'd go to heaven or not? I'm asking you a question. I'm not asking nobody. You. You drop dead in your seat. We take you out the door, and we bury you in three days. Would you be in heaven or would you not be in heaven? Do you absolutely know for a fact, not think so, hope so, maybe so, could be, should be, might be, maybe, do you know that you know that before your head hit the floor, your spirit would be with Jesus? Those who are generally saved, those who know God and God knows them, they have that assurance. Pastor, are you telling me that if you drop dead right now, you know you'd be in heaven? Absolutely. 
While you're crying for me, I'd be running up and down the streets of glory, kicking up gold dust. I'd be a shouting Pentecostal in heaven. Having the time of my life. Wish you were here, but I'm having the time of my life. Also, you know that you know not only when he saves you and you know you got saved, but he changes you. If any man be in Christ, any man has a relationship with God, he becomes a what? A new creation. His mind changes, his mouth changes, his mannerisms change, not all at once necessarily, but there is a gradual, sometimes very rapid change that people undergo who are saved. You say, I, I'm not changed, Pastor. I'm the same old person, and you're not saved. When God comes into your life and you have a relationship with him, he will change you. He will also grow you. Hosea 6.3 says, Let us know personal relationship, and by knowing, let us pursue the knowledge of the Lord. When you bring a baby into this world, the baby doesn't stay a baby, does it? They grow up. Christians ought to be growing up in the Lord. All of us grow at different rates. All of us mature at different times but all of us should be growing. If you're the same Christian now that you were then, I would question whether you're growing or not. If you're the same Christian tomorrow as you are today, are you growing? We're talking about how can we be sure that we know this God in heaven who is revealing himself to us, how can we be sure we know him in a real and personal way? Because we know that we're saved. We, we see the changes that are taking place in our life. We're growing in the Lord. We have a calmness about things. I know many of us are disturbed what's going on in our country, what's going on in our world. And listen, we should be. But you know something? I'm not worried about it. I'm concerned about it because I love this country. I'm concerned about the church. I love the church. I'm concerned about my family because I love the family. But I can tell you this, I don't stay up night worrying about it. You say, Pastor, where's this country going? I can tell you where it's going. It's going to Jesus. And those who know the Lord and have a relationship with Him, they have a peace that passes all understanding. Yes, they're concerned, but they're not worried. They're not stressed. They're not afraid. They've got a calmness there. We know that we know Him in a real and personal way, not just because we know our salvation. We see the changes. We see the growth. We have a, a peace, a calm effect about ourselves. But we also are motivated. The Holy Spirit, when God comes into our life, gives us a motivation towards spiritual things we never had before. Why do you want to worship? Because the Spirit of God wants to worship and He's inside of you and He motivates you to worship. Why do you want to witness and share your faith? Because the Spirit of God wants you to tell others about Jesus and He motivates you, creates the opportunity, gives you the ability to do it. Why do you want to serve? Why do you want to give? Why do you want to live right? Why do you want to do right? You think it's just because of that's, you just thought that up? It's because the Spirit of God is energizing you and empowering you from the inside out to do these spiritual things you never wanted to do before. Do 
You understand? God wants us to move. Through creation, through the scriptures, through Jesus Christ, we can move. And by the way, it's not just a one-time, I know you, I don't need to know you anymore. It's kind of like being married. We've got some old married folks in here. I'm not calling no names. But when you've been married to somebody a while, you kind of know them pretty well. My wife and I can have a conversation and not really say a whole lot of words. I'll start out saying a few words, and she'll say, I know what you're saying. And she takes over. And then she'll start talking, and I'll say, wait a minute, I know what you're saying, and I'll finish it out for her. That's because we know one another. We have a relationship with one another, and that relationship deepens as we grow older. And that's the way it is with the Lord. You, you learn about him through the, when the relationship begins, but then there's a growing process where you learn more and more about him. And he lear- teaches you things about himself, and that's what it's about. final analysis, there's only two theologies in the group. You ready for them? God is big and I am small and I need him. Or I am big and God is small and I don't need him at all. If you believe God is big and you need him because you're small, you need to know about it who he is because in who he is you'll know who you are heads are bowed and eyes are